Turn in your Bibles with me. Turn in your, there we go. Turn in your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 14 through 16 this morning. Philippians 2. It looked like it was going to be a beautiful two weeks of camping that my family was about ready to embark on. We were kind of new at the camping thing. I think I was around 10 years old. Um, and so we went out and bought this tent. And the tent looked like something from Barnum and Bailey Circus. It had a red, white, and blue uh, roof. It had blue sides. It was huge. I think 10 by 12, 10 by 14. It was big enough for my entire family. We tested it out for a couple weeks in Florida where I lived to try out camping. And then we were going to come up to visit my grandparents in Virginia. And we were going to stop, ironically, on the way and camp at Myrtle Beach. Right on the beach with my uncle. So talk about extremes. Here we were in our Barnum and Bailey circus tent right next to my uncle who had just brought, bought a brand new 35-foot Winnebago with AC, TV, and hot and cold running everything. Well, that night, the monsoons came. And it was like a no attic, you know? flood. It was bad. And there was thunder and lightning. And in the middle of the night, my dad wakes me up and he says, hey, Mark, will you go outside and untie the flaps on the windows? Bad design. You have to go outside in the rain to put the flaps down. They, they've redesigned tents. So I go outside, right? And I'm looking at these strings and, and I say, Houston, we have a problem. Because every one of the strings holding the flaps were tied in knots. So I start grumbling and complaining because I'm standing out in the pouring rain, getting drenched as I try to untie these knots. My brother's probably laughing because he's probably the one that tied the knots. Um, and so I'm trying to untie these knots, right? And I finally get them done, come back to the tent, and then the next morning... My whole family was grumbling and complaining. You know why? Because it seemed like every road in that campground drained into our tent. We woke up floating on our air mattresses. Seriously, floating on our air mattresses. The water in our tent was about that deep. And and the water seeped into all of our suitcases. Can you imagine that? All drenched, everything. And we were in fulfillment of Psalm 106.25 that says this, they grumbled in their tents. Now most of you can remember something like that in your life, right? 
a camping trip, vacation, where everything went wrong, right? Or just this past year with COVID, with being quarantined. In fact, I, I know somebody that was quarantined how many weeks? Um, yeah, three times. Each person got, their, got it in her family, and then she had to be quarantined again and again and again, okay? Can you imagine that? Isolated. Things happening out of our control. Temptations to grumble and complain. So this, this sermon, I thought we'd look at the sin of grumbling, its causes and cure, and the first three things we're going to look at is the command against grumbling, the way to stop grumbling, and the results of not grumbling. So let's look at this passage, Philippians 2, 14 through 16. This is the Word of God. It says this, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. The first thing that we want to look at here is the command against grumbling. You know, this is a command. Do all things, not just some things, it says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, the Greek word for grumbling can be translated, not just grumbling, it can be translated as murmuring, complaining, expressing dissatisfaction, or muttering in a low voice. You know, that muttering in a low voice kind of reminds me, you remember Eeyore? Winnie the Pooh? Eeyore? They talk like this all the time. That's muttering. You know, he, he was grumbling all the time. Um, so, that, you know, that's, that's grumbling. And then disputing can be translated questioning, skeptical questioning, arguing, critical criticism. Or listen to this. It's intellectual rebellion against God. Wow. Intellectual rebellion against God. Now, a good example of this can be seen in Exodus 16, 18, where God's people are in the wilderness. You know the story. Moses leads the people out of Egypt. And, and God frees them from Egypt. It's amazing, right? Pharaoh says no. Moses keeps saying, let my people go. And finally, he lets them go, right? And then, what does he do? He changes his mind. And he sends the army after them. And they're caught between the army and the Red Sea. And what does God do? He parts the Red Sea. Amazing. Right? They go through on dry land. And then the army, the Egyptian army, follows them. And God destroys them. Right before the very eyes of all of Israel. You know, it makes me think of the verse where it says, When I am weak... He is strong. Therefore, I would rather boast in my weakness that the power of God may be displayed in me. Israel was weak at that point, right? And the power of God was displayed in them and displayed not only to them, but to all the world and to us. 
the power of God in protecting his people. So can you imagine seeing that happen and then being set free and you're out there going, yes, we're free, right? Reminds me of Braveheart. Freedom, right? They're free. And then what happens? After a while, the stomach starts grumbling. And they start thinking about that luscious leeks and onions. They start thinking about the food in Egypt. And they start thinking, hey, we're hungry. Hey, Moses, did you think about food? Did you think about feeding us? In fact, what do they say? You brought us out here to starve us. You brought us out here so that we would die. And you know what Moses' response is? In Exodus 16, 8, he says this. Your grumblings are not against us. He's talking about Moses and Aaron. Your grumbling is not against us, but it's against the Lord. And there's the principle there. You know, when we grumble and complain, we can be grumbling and complaining about anybody or anything, but we're ultimately grumbling against God. We're ultimately grumbling against God. And here's the amazing thing. Here's the amazing thing. God had just freed them. God had just given them everything, right? And then, and then they start grumbling, right, about the food. And what does God do? What would you have done? I just said, gone. But God is so patient, isn't he? He is without me. And so what does he do? He provides them manna. He provides them manna. And that's great for a while. They go, hey, we like manna. That's cool. And then all of a sudden, like Keith Green's song, I don't know if some of you, Keith Green? Okay, few. He's a singer, Christian artist. But uh, in his, one of his songs, he says this, Soon the people got tired of manna burgers, manna waffles, manna souffle, and banana bread. So they began to grumble and complain again. You know what? The people wanted meat to eat. They wanted variety. They just didn't want manna, Right? So what does God do? Here's the amazing thing. He provides them meat to eat. But he says this in Numbers 11. says this, verses 18 through 20. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat to eat, and you shall eat not one day, not two days, not five days, not 20 days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? You know, what? I just, that boggles my mind. Even that statement, why did we ever leave Egypt? Guess what, people? They couldn't have left Egypt without God right? Couldn't have escaped ever. So they're taking it upon themselves. Why did we ever leave? Why did we ever leave? Do you think grumbling is a serious sin? 
So the next day, you know what the Lord did? He provided quail, three feet thick, a day's journey in every direction. That's a lot of quail, right? For two million people. And so as they were eating this quail, as the meat was in their mouth, guess what happened? God sent a plague, killing many. Do you think grumbling is a serious sin? Now, you might be thinking, Mark, that's the Old Testament. That's the Old Testament. God was more stern. He's more gracious. He's more merciful in the New Testament. Well, if you're thinking that way, turn with me to keep your finger in Philippians. Turn with me to the left to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 I'll start in verse 1 to 13. It says this, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were under a cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate of the same spiritual food, and all drank of the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened, listen to this, as an example for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. Um, nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the end of the age has come. So do you see that? This passage, what it shows us is that grumbling is listed with the sins of idolatry and immorality. It really shows that Grumbling is a serious sin. And, and this passage also tells us that all of these things were written for an example to us. They were written for an example for us so that we would not follow in the same sins as Israel. In fact, in fact, it, it, you know, as blessed are you who learn from your own mistakes, but even more blessed are you if you learn from the mistakes of others. Young people, that's a great message for you to hear. You know, because many times your parents will tell you something that they've gone through years ago that caused a lot of problems in their lives. And, and they're telling you, listen to me. Follow my example. Don't follow my example. Listen so that you learn and don't have to go through the same things I went through. And that's what God's doing here. Using Israel as an example for us. Now, how do you think God felt? How do you think God felt when Israel grumbled in the wilderness? Think about that. He had just freed them 
He had provided for all their needs. He had plundered the Egyptians. You know what that means? They, they went to the Egyptians' doors, and the, the Egyptians just gave them everything. Gold, silver, clothing, you know, shoes, everything. Gave them everything. But more importantly than having everything, God chose them out of all the nations on earth to be his people. So he took them out of Egypt to be his people. That's amazing. And that's the only way they could escape is by his grace and by his mercy. How do you think God feels when we grumble like Israel did? When we face the problems of our lives and we grumble about them. Young people, when your parents tell you to come home at midnight, or they say, you shouldn't date that person, that's going to be bad for you. Do you grumble and complain? Or do you listen? Listen and learn. Because you know, when you grumble and complain against your parents, you're really grumbling and complaining against God. Husbands, when you come home from work and your wife has the three kids or four kids and she says, I can't take it anymore. I need a break. Do you say, husbands, do you say, that's your job? Do you grumble and complain? Or do you say, I'll, I'll take the kids. Go take a nap, right? Wives, when your husband has had a rough day at work, I mean, a rough week at work, and he hasn't been able to get to the things that he normally does, you know, like taking out the garbage. And he says, can you do that for me? Do you grumble and complain? Or do you say, yeah, I'll do that gladly. Church members, Joe, Joe brought this up. When, when the session decides something that you don't agree with, do you grumble and complain to other people in the church? You see... What God is saying is every time we grumble against our wives, our husbands, our parents, the session, we're grumbling against God ultimately. And we're telling him we don't like the circumstances of our lives. We don't like what he's doing. If I was in charge, I'd do a better job. Things would go a lot better. That's what we're telling him even if we're not thinking that. And our testimony to the world is this. That my Christianity or my relationship with Christ doesn't matter. It doesn't really work. It doesn't help me. And you know what? What it does is we become so much like the world that there's no distinction between darkness and light. And that's what this passage is talking about in Philippians. So how do, we, how do we stop grumbling? Well, look back at verse 16. It says this, Hold fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. What, is it, what does it mean to hold fast the word of life? It means to hold fast the gospel. Hold on to the gospel. Don't let it go. Remember what Christ did for you. It's, it's, like, it's like Israel, you know, in the wilderness. They should have remembered what God did for them. That He freed them. That He took them out of bondage. That, they, that, 
The only way they could have been free was because of God and His grace and His mercy. They didn't deserve it. And we don't deserve His grace and mercy. So we need to remember the gospel. Um, Listen to what Ephesians says. Ephesians 2, 1 says this, And you were formerly in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of the flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Do you remember that? That's where every one of us was before Christ. We were held in bondage, and there was no way to free us except for God's grace and His mercy. And that's what it says in verse 4. But God. Greatest conjunction in the Bible. But God. Being rich in mercy because of His great love which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. When you remember that, and you constantly remind yourself that I am God's, nobody can separate me from the love of God, when you keep remembering that, what does it do for you? It makes you want to serve Him. It makes you want to love Him. It makes you want to never complain against Him. It makes you want to live thankfully before Him. And that's the next thing. How how do we stop grumbling? By replacing grumbling with thanksgiving. It's a principle in the Bible is to put off and to put on. Put off sin, put on righteousness, right? So you put off grumbling and you put on thanksgiving. How do you do that? I mean, it's easy to say, right? Yeah, put off, put on. That's easy. Um, But how do you do that? How do you do that? I think the main way is to get a perspective of what God's doing in your life. Try to figure out why is God doing this? Um, see, because we have to remember that God is sovereign in everything in our lives. Nothing happens by bad luck. You know, you have a no good rotten day. It's not because of bad luck. God has allowed it in your life. So you got to ask yourself, why? Why are you allowing this, God? What can I learn from this? Right? And he's going to use that eventually for good, no matter what. Let me give you an example of it from my own life. Last year, for most of you, it wasn't a great year, right? Do I get a lot of, yeah. I lost my dad last year. Um, and it, it was partially from COVID. I got COVID last year, the day before Christmas Eve. Uh, wasn't uh, uh, missed Christmas first time ever, even in the military, never missed Christmas with family. That was the first time, right? Then, right after Christmas, we we're going on vacation to Disney World, right? On the 28th, I wake up with a pinched nerve in my neck. So, what do you do with all that, guys? When stuff like that happens, you know, one thing after another, after another, after another, what do you do? Do you start grumbling and complaining, you know? 
And, I, and I'm not saying, guys, I'm not saying this. When I woke up with a pinched nerve, and Denise can tell you that, I wasn't going, yay, this is great. I love pinched nerves. No, uh, that's kind of like the worst pain I've ever had in my life, right? So how do you deal with something like that? Well, you, you know what I did? I, I, I sat there and said, God, what, what are you doing? And then I started thinking about how many times, how many years I've counseled people that are in constant pain. Constant pain. And, and you know, I gave them good biblical counseling, but I couldn't empathize. And I'm not saying you can't counsel people if you haven't been through the same thing. That's not true. That's a lie. But, but you can't empathize with somebody if you haven't gone through something similar, right? So I started thanking God for this because I thought, you know what? I can empathize with people now who are going through because it is so hard to focus on anything, anything, if you're in pain. You know, somebody's telling you, focus on God. You're like, oh, well, it's kind of hard to do since I've got pain, right? So God taught me in that. And I said, okay, now, God, I've learned that lesson. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> no, but another one with my dad. My dad died, and partially because of COVID, all right? He didn't get COVID. He just was afraid to go to the hospital. And so he waited and waited and waited and waited too long. So you know what I could be doing for the rest of my life? Blaming COVID, grumbling, saying he didn't have to die, right? But you know what? Um, to get God's perspective on things, I thought back on his birthday. <laughs> his birthday, two weeks before he died, we got together with him. And he had been in the legacy for a month and a half. Not seeing anybody. Isolated, right? And we convinced him. We said, Dad, you are coming home. You're going to come over for a birthday. And he loved it. It was just me and Denise. And he, I remember him saying, hug me! <laughs> and you ladies, you remember him. He, he had a line of ladies that would hug him every Sunday. He missed that. But the thing he told me, I said, Dad, I said, I said, your great uncles lived to 106. And one of them lived to 103. In fact, one of them, I pulled up one day, and they were, he was, dig, he was 96 or 97, and he had the fence pole diggers out, digging a hole to put a light up, a light pole. I was like, this guy's 96 years old. I said, Dad, are you going to live you know, as long as them? And he just looked at me, and he said, no. No. Now, two years before, he probably just said, yeah. But he said, no. And he said, Mark, and my dad didn't complain ever. He said, Mark, I am in constant pain every day. He says, by three o'clock, I can hardly walk. And you know what that message was to me? My dad wants to go home. You know, I, he wants to go home. And so he did. And you know what? I, don't, I can't grumble about that. In fact, if I asked him to come back now, if I said, hey, Dad, come back, 
He'd say, are you crazy? And anybody would that's in heaven. Why? Because the Apostle Paul says to live is Christ and to die is gain. He was an expert on it. He had seen the earth. He had seen heaven. At the same time, he's the only one that did that, except for Jesus, right? And he said, heaven is a lot better. No way he'd want to come back. So I got God's perspective on things, which led to, instead of grumbling, thanksgiving. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And thank you that my, God, my dad's in heaven. Thank you that he's with my mom. Thank you that one day I'm going to be able to see him. That is the great hope we all have, you know, that are believers. We will one day be together again. What a glorious thing. What a glorious thing. Well, the last thing that you need to remember so that you can stop grumbling is our calling as Christians. Our calling as Christians. You see, our calling as, as Christians is to the Lordship of Christ. We, when you came to Christ, you bowed the knee to Jesus. You know, you didn't make him Lord. He was already Lord. You bowed the knee to him, right? You gave up your rights. And a lot of times what we're doing when we're grumbling is we're grumbling about our rights, our supposed rights. We don't have any rights. We gave them up. We gave them up. And you think about that. Um, did Jesus ever grumble? Did he ever have disappointments? <laughs> he probably had them every day watching the 12 disciples, right? Um, inconveniences, trials. He had all of those. But did he ever grumble? No. And you think about that. He came to live a perfect life in our place. That's why he never grumbled. That's why he never complained. He lived for the glory of God so that that perfect record could be given to us. Wow. You know, that's another thank you, God. Thank you, God, for that record, that perfect record. So you see, whenever we grumble, we're growing, going back to claiming our rights, rights that we gave up a long time ago. So we need to remember our calling. Our calling is to follow Christ as Lord. Well, finally, what is the result of not grumbling? What's the result of not grumbling? Look back at um, Philippians 2.15. It says this, so that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. So when we don't grumble, we appear different than the world. The world is a dark place. And when we act like the world, there's no distinguishing us and the world. Right? But when we don't grumble, we're so different that we stand out. You know, it's like the stars in the sky. You can't see the stars during the daytime, right? But at night, when you've got the dark sky, they stand out. They stand out. And so do we in this world. That's a dark place, right? Well, I remember a story 
years ago, and it was about James Dobson. James Dobson was standing in line at a grocery store, and he was waiting in line, and there was a lady in front of him digging through her purse, you know? Now, usually I get stuck behind somebody with a thousand coupons, you know, and I'm, yeah, I don't go, oh, and that's temptation to grumble, right? Um, but here's Dobson with this lady going through her purse trying to find money. She didn't have money to pay for her bill. So he finally, instead of grumbling, goes up to the cashier and whispers in her ear, says, whatever she doesn't have, I'll pay for it. Let her, just let her go. Um, so he, the cashier lets, lets her go, and Dobson comes up, and, and she says, you know, she owed eight bucks. So he pays the eight bucks, and then the cashier starts crying. You know, and he, he's, he's going, what's, what's wrong? And she says, I've worked here for many years, many years, and I have never seen anybody do that. Never. Because of his act of kindness, he was a light in a dark world. You know, last week's sermon, he loved his neighbor as himself. He said that was the best, best $8 investment he could ever make. So the question is, if you would have been in Dobson's shoes, what would you have done? What would you have done? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy because you have freed us from our sin, from our captivity, from our bondage. And you did that when we didn't deserve it. What we deserve is hell, God. And we thank you for your grace and mercy that you've given us so that we can live lives that love you back. And one of the ways that we love you back is by being thankful. So Lord, help us through the power of your Holy Spirit to be thankful people, thankful in all things. Lord, we praise you that we not only um, can do this, but we can do this because of your spirit that you give us. So Lord, help us to be dependent upon you and the power of your Holy Spirit and able to live grumble-free and to live lives that are pleasing to you. Lord, we praise you for this time together and we pray in Jesus' name.